Well, John chapter 14, we're really come back to that wonderful section in Scripture. Let me read this section to you today. Not too long, but enough there. Look at 1423. I'll pick it up there and read through 26. It says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word he said that you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I have given to you. Let me begin maybe just by asking you, as we find ourselves in this wonderful section, it, section that talks about the Father, talks about the Son, talks about the Holy Spirit. What is the, the primary role of the Holy Spirit? I mean, there's much in your heart, much in my mind, uh, hopefully bound by Scripture, sometimes bound by what people say about the Holy Spirit and so forth. But what is the primary role of the Holy Spirit. I, maybe that's a fair word. There's many things that the Holy Spirit does do, but what is the primary role, at least revealed in the Scripture? We know that the Holy Spirit earlier in John 14, specifically in verse 16, he's described there as another helper. He's not just a helper, he's another helper. That Greek word is parakletos. He's not just the helper, he's another helper. So there was another helper before him, and that was of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 John 2, 1, when it says that Jesus Christ was our advocate before God, that's that same word. And so in light of his departure, he sends another advocate. He sends another helper, is the word parakletos, to take his spot as he physically ascends into glory. Look at verse 17. We notice there that he's called the spirit of truth. If you look down and go to chapter 15, in verse 26, it says there that he is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. And it says, does Jesus, that he, 1526, will bear witness about me. In other words, the role of the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He's a helper. He's the spirit of truth. He will bear witness about the person of Christ. Glance down in chapter 16, verse 13. There he's called the spirit of truth. And when he comes, he will guide you unto all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And watch this. Verse 14. He, speaking of the spirit, will glorify me. For he will take of mine and declare it to you and... All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So preeminently, the Holy Spirit is a teacher, a teacher that reveals Christ. However, in many places, the Holy Spirit, frankly, is blasphemed as to his true ministry. Maybe I'll give you one example of such, but seems to be more widespread than what we know sometimes, I watched on, be careful of this, YouTube, a pastor, his name is Todd Bentley, and Todd Bentley is a pastor, he led a series of revivals a few years back, and you say, well gosh, he's on the fringe, I don't know if he's on the fringe, people flew from all over the globe to get to his revival, they flew from all over the United States carrying sick people with them, sick children with them in the hopes that this healer, this health, wealth, and prosperity healer would heal him. Um, let, let me just, here's one, one of the claims, and I won't go further. One of the claims is he said, quote, God, I prayed for like a hundred crippled people. So he's in his prayer, and he's at his revival, and he's praying for crippled people to be brought to him 
And he said, quote, not one. And he said, and I suppose when he said he's speaking about God, that's because I want you to grab the lady's crippled legs and bang them up and down on the platform like a baseball bat. This is all on YouTube. And I walked up and I grabbed her legs and I started going, bam. In other words, he took her legs, bam, 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 like a baseball bat. And I started banging them up and down on the platform. And he said she got healed. And I'm thinking, why is not the power of God moving? So though he healed this lady, he wanted more. He said, speaking of God, because you haven't kicked the woman in the face. And there was, quote, again, all of this is a quote, was this older lady worshiping right in front of the platform. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and the gift of faith came on me, and he said, I suppose audibly to this pastor, kick her in the face with your biker boots. And I inched closer, and I went like this, and basically, I mean, you watch all this, it was exposed on Nightline. He just kicked her right in the face. Actually, what he would say is, I inched closer and I went like this, bam! And, I just, and just as my boot made contact with her nose, she fell under the power of God. She probably fell under the power of his biker boot, I would think. But I thought, you know, you'll say to me, well, that's bizarre. Well, yeah, that, that's bizarre, but... Do you know how many people say that today? The Holy Spirit spoke to me. God said to me. I mean, I, I would say usually weekly, <laughs> I hear something like that. God said, now I, I understand sometimes there's strong impressions on our hearts. Sometimes we really are convicted by the person of the Spirit who's in us to confess sin, to go ask somebody for forgiveness, whatever it may be. But, you know, he evidently receives direct revelation from God and direct revelation from the Holy Spirit. And it said the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Really? He spoke to you to kick that woman in the face. And this goes on and on and on with other people. So I just use that to say, what does the scripture say the Holy Spirit's ministry truly is? Well, we turn here to John chapter 14. Remember, we've been in this setting and we will be through chapter 17. It's the Passion Week. It's the Upper Room Discourse. It's his last week of earth, but I think I've said that to you a few times now. It's not just his last week where he came into you know, the triumphal hosannas, but it's Thursday night. He will be lifted up on the cross in just a matter of a few hours. He will immediately go into his trial at the end of chapter 17 into chapter 18, and we'll study that. And he kept telling them that he's going away. In fact, look at chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, Yet a little while I am with you, and you will seek me, just as I said to the Jews. So now also I say to you that where I am going, you cannot come. Maybe you've had somebody go away from you, and they're dear friends. It's a dear sister. It's a relative. Maybe it's somebody who's parted into glory. But can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ if you were one of the, let's say, the 11 at that point? Judas had gone out. Earlier, Could you imagine being that? And he said, I, I'm going away. Look at chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? I, I mean, they're just, they're stunned with that news. He kept telling them that earlier, but he actually ramps it up in this upper room discourse. If you look over in chapter 14 and verse 12, he said there, he said, truly, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works these he will do, because, he said there in 12, I am going to the Father. And so he's going away. And so he said to them, did our Lord, back in 14.1, let not your hearts be troubled. And in light of their troubled hearts, he initiates here a series of blessings that come to us as believers 
because of his departure to the Father. In fact, he said in 16.7, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go, the Spirit won't come. And so he delivers these blessings. And really, these blessings come to us within the framework of the Trinity. It is the blessing of the Father, the blessing of the Son, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Last couple weeks ago, they all take up residence in the life of the believer. All three persons of the Godhead are involved. And so we begin to work through those. We look first at the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He sends another helper who won't just be with you, he will be in you. And then we look secondly that he sends the blessing of his Son. In other words, even though he's going away, Jesus said, I'm going to send the parakletos to you, the other helper, but he also said, I'm going to come to you. And we really looked at that and said that we believe primarily that's the resurrection. But thirdly, he was going to send the Father to them. If you look at verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. I love this. And we will come to him. In other words, come to them, I believe, not only in their personal witness within our heart, but in the teaching of the Holy Spirit. It says we will come to him, and I love that, make our home with him. In other words, God and the Son and the presence of the Holy Spirit are going to take residence in our hearts, and we will be able to be comforted in that sense that we don't have to be troubled. So Jesus said this. He said, don't be troubled. I'm going to ask the Father. I, the Son, the second person, am going to ask the Father, the first person of the Trinity. He will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you forever. And I will not leave you, Jesus said in this context, as orphans. We will make our home with you. So all of the Trinity will be guiding you through your life. But maybe at the same time, he, he's still not done with the text. And if Christ actually goes, maybe they're still thinking, how can we survive? Okay, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are coming and will be released in a new way. But how, maybe the disciples thought, will we remember the things that he taught us? And so he generates a, another blessing here to these troubled disciples, to their heart, to our heart this morning. And it is the blessing, number four, of Scripture. Scripture. And really here, it's a promise of the Holy Spirit that will reveal to the apostles the words of Scripture. And it's based here in 24 through verse 26. But you could see verse 26 there in your lap, the helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father sends in my name. He will teach you all things. This is a significant statement here. In fact, Leon Morris, the great scholar on the Gospel of John, said that 1426 is the fullest description of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. So I'm glad you came today. In other words, there's descriptions all over the Gospel of John, but maybe Morris is right. Here is, in that statement, the fullest description of the Holy Spirit in all of the Gospel of John. So here's the blessing first, I'm going to say fourthly here, of Scripture. Now he mentions it there in 1426, but it's certainly not the first place that he has mentioned the Scripture. Look back at 1415. Jesus said there that if you love me, and he uses that phrase, you'll keep my commandments. And in other words, it's not if you fear me, if you're driven to guilt... No, if you love me, our response to the Father, Son, and the Spirit, verse 15, is to keep his commandments. Glance down at verse 21. Whoever, Jesus said, has my commandments, kind of lay idealist, knows them, and keeps them, verse 21, it is he who actually loves me. In other words, here is a love out of the heart that shows itself and demonstrates itself in obedience. In fact, he will say that the Father will love him and we will come to him in verse 23 and make our home with him. But if you look at verse 24, he says the opposite. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So it's amazing. He's talking about the revelation of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. 
being manifested in the heart of a believer. But the response of the believer for that man or that woman is to love God. And we show that love and we know this by keeping his commandments. That's really the identifying mark of a believer. It's obedience, but that obedience is flowing from love. Just look over the next page in chapter 15 in verse 10. Jesus said there, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verse 14 says, 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So those who love and obey me will see me, is what Jesus is saying, in a spiritual sense. And so love engenders obedience and a manifestation of his person is only possible where obedience exists. In fact, look again at 1424 at the backside there when he's, or at the beginning. Who, it says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Now, we both know this love and obedience isn't a matter of perfection. It is the direction of our life. But as I go, I'm going to leave this scripture to you. I'm going to give you my commandments. And for my disciples, motivated by love, I, I want you to obey me. And lest there was any question who this word of Jesus Christ is and was, look at verse 24. He says, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the what? It's the Father's who sends me. In other words, my commandments that keeps my word, Jesus actually says is really, oh, it's my commandments, it's my words. But here in 24, you hear them, they're not mine, they're actually the Father's. The Father gave them to me. So I'm giving them to you, but they come from God the Father. In fact, just glance back. This in chapter 12, this is such a huge statement. In chapter 12, in verse 49, we've looked at that before, but it says, For I have not spoken to you, Jesus said, on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. And now this phrase, what I say therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus says back in 1424 that the word you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. Beloved at Grace Church of the Valley, there is no higher authority than this. He speaks and he speaks the words of the Father. Now look at the text here in 14, verse 25. Jesus said to these disciples in that upper room on late Thursday night, these things, he, the scripture, the stuff that he's teaching, I have spoken to you. And then he said, while I am still with you. In other words, I've spoken these things to you, upper room discourse, all of his life, I take it. All of the commandments. But here in the context, this upper room discourse I've given you these things while I'm with you, but the, the thought here of the text is, is it's about to end. I've given them to you while I am with you, okay? So maybe again, fear rises up in their hearts. They've been blessed with the Father. They've been blessed with the Son. They've been blessed by the Holy Spirit. But now he's going to give them another blessing. And the blessing here is Scripture. And so look at 1426. But the Helper, there it is again, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring them and bring you to remembrance of all that I have said to you. So here, this blessing of the scripture, I'm calling it that, really is a blessing of the Holy Spirit with the scripture. And the helper is coming to you, just as he said earlier. The helper, that third person of the Trinity. And so here, he sends, does Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to be not only our helper, our comforter, our counselor, but he's going to send him to us. Now, now, just look at the text. I don't want to miss this. It says, whom the Father will send in my name. In other words, just as the Father sent the Son, and this is all over the Gospel of John. I won't take the time with you. But just as the Father sent the Son, now it says in 26... It says that the Father will send the helper 
it says there, in my name. So Jesus is going to pray in verse 16. The Father's going to send the Spirit. The, the Spirit is going to come, and He's going to come here. You could see this in the name of Jesus with my authority. In other words, Jesus said he's going to come, if you will, to act in my place. The helper is going to come representing me. In other words, he's going to come in my name. He's another helper, but he's coming on my behalf. Maybe just let me point out a couple of the key features here. And by the way, I'm kind of moving in the text to give you a direct application, but I can't give you a direct application until I lay the platform first. So first, let's just look at his name. His name. Now, you can see that in verse 26. He's called the helper. We've talked about that. But he's called the Holy Spirit here. You say, well, Scott, of course he's the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm just pointing it out to you that it's the first time in John's gospel that he's called the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit. He's called another helper. Okay. He's the third person of the Trinity. But it's the first time in John's gospel that he's here called the Holy Spirit. And obviously holy is applied to the spirit here of God. And it reflects the, the spirit's character. He's the, you understand that, the Holy Spirit. He's not just the spirit of truth. He's not just a helper. He is. But he's also the Holy Spirit. And I think it's understandable. There's a lot we can say on this. We know that the Father, God the Father is holy says that in John 17. We know that Jesus, even by a demon, was confessed to be the Holy One of God. But now here is the Holy Spirit. In other words, holy. We sang it today. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And I, some people think that's a reference in the song or even in Isaiah to the triune God. And I think I've shared with you, I don't necessarily believe that. I think it's an emphasis, particularly in Revelation 6, on just the, the fact that as the seraphim are crying out, it's for emphasis, holy, holy, holy. It's what we call a Hebrew idiom. And it's not so much referring to the presence of the triune God, but the emphasis on the nature of God as holy. But not only is God holy, Christ is holy, and the Spirit is the Holy Spirit. And I think because one of the chief means in our life is to produce holiness in your life. The Holy Spirit is the one who sanctifies us to be distinct. So that's his name, the Holy Spirit. Secondly, would you note though, his function, look down in the text again. It says that he... Okay, now that's just, you understand, masculine pronoun. He, the Holy Spirit, here's his function, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It is a wonderful statement. So here he's going, he tells these disciples, and by the way, I really believe, and I'll tell you this, that this is a specific promise that is given to the apostles I'll explain that. The Holy Spirit works in our heart through his word in another way. But he's giving here a statement, I believe, on divine inspiration. And he says, does Jesus, to these 11 who are in that upper room, he's going to teach you, you, apostles. He's going to teach you, in verse 26, to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, he said he's going to teach them the apostles, will the Holy Spirit, all things. Now, you know, you always have to just stop for a second. You mean all things? Well, I don't think here the implication is that the Holy Spirit's going to impart some kind of exhaustive knowledge of all things to the disciples. No, I don't think that's the thought, that he's going to impart exhaustive knowledge of nuclear physics to the apostles. I don't think he's going to give to the apostles all the elements of astronomy in the world. I don't think he's going to talk to the disciples, the apostles on cell biology. It doesn't mean all things without exception, but I think specifically here he's referring to the life of Christ. He's going to teach you about my life. He's going to teach you about my life. He's going to teach you about my death. He's going to teach you about my ascension. He's going to teach you about the Christian life. Now you say, well, Scott, what is this in 26? What's he referring to here? Well, it is a specific promise given to the 11. Very well. Let's call them the 11 apostles. 
that would enable them to remember and to write the New Testament. This is a divine inspiration that is given by the Holy Spirit to the apostles to record the New Testament. It's exclusive. So no pastor can really say, God said to me. I would never come up and say, God said to me. I would never say to you, the Holy Spirit said to me. Here is a specific promise given to these 11 who are about to lose their their master, their savior, their Lord. He gives them the Holy Spirit. He gives them a name, but he says of the Holy Spirit's function is that the apostles would write the very word of God and complete the New Testament canon. There was a specific promise given, we'll call it the 12, Matthias who replaced Judas. You say, does it speak of this in other places? Absolutely. Just turn a couple pages. Let me show you this in John 16 and we'll come to a fuller expression of this. But watch what he said. Still in the upper room discourse, Jesus said, "Verse, look at 12 actually, 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you. <laughs> Do you ever say that to your children? <laughs> but you cannot bear them now. In other words, I got many other things to tell you. I haven't exhausted it. But he actually says, but I can't tell you right now. Because I can't tell you right now because you can't bear them. Verse 13, classic statement. When the spirit of truth comes, love that phrase. He's the Holy Spirit, but here he is the spirit, and he's a spirit of truth. In other words, he's the opposite of lies. But when he comes, he, masculine pronoun, will guide you into all the what? Truth. You say, well, well, what would he do? Well, look at verse 13, 4. He will speak not in his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Here's what the role of the Holy Spirit is. He will glorify me. Now, just stop there for a second. I don't want to just keep stopping. But whatever you think the Holy Spirit is, let me just say this. He's the spirit of truth, okay? He's a teacher, and the role of the Holy Spirit is to not glorify himself. It's to glorify, as it says right there, me. The function, the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. He, for he will take of mine what is mine, and he'll declare it to you. And all that the Father has Jesus said, is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What a great statement. He's going to declare it to you. So I have many more things to tell you, but now's not the time. You can't bear it. But listen, when the spirit of truth comes, okay, he's going to guide you, don't worry about it, into all the truth, and he's going to renew your memory of me. In fact, just glance back at one other chapter, chapter 15 in verse 26. Jesus still there looking to the future. He's looking to the promise of the Spirit, the promise at Acts chapter 2 that we talked about. But when, there it is again, the helper, that's his name, the parakletos, when he comes, whom, now that's interesting, whom I will send to you. Now, the Father said, he, he said earlier, I'm going to pray, the Father's going to send, but you can see here in 26, whom I will send to you, Jesus sends the Spirit. You say, well, Scott, was it the Father or the Son? And the answer is yes, it was both. This gets rid of an Arian um, heresy that dealt with who was actually the sender. It's real clear in the Scripture, both the Father and the Son. And then it says in 26, it says, he'll send you from the Father the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, watch this, what does he do? He will bear witness about what? Me. So let me just tell you, just biblical theology, let your mind be framed, let it be formed by the Scripture. The role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. The role of the Holy Spirit was to teach the apostles all that Christ taught them. The role of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness regarding the person of Christ. Now you remember, just step back with me, you got to stay with me today, that when they're in the upper room, they're confused, aren't they? 
Let me go back to chapter 13. Here's how confused they are, and I'll just point it out to, by, to you by a couple of questions they asked. Do you remember in 1336, Simon Peter said to him after he told him in verse 33, I'm going away, Lord, where are you, what, going? Listen, I know you told me that you're going to your death, but I don't want to hear it. I told him earlier, but I, Lord, hey, where are you going? You can't leave me. You can't leave us. Look down in chapter 14, verse 5. Here's how confused they are. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Which led to the brilliant statement. But Peter's confused in 1336. Thomas is still confused when he said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. Glance down at chapter 14 and verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, in confusion, not really a question, show us the Father and it is enough for us. In other words, they never understood what he was talking about. If you glance down at chapter 14, verse 22, Judas, very clearly, 1422, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? In other words, we, we think this is one of the apostles Judas, not Iscariot, and uh, he said to the Lord, listen, if you're going to reveal yourself, don't do it in a private way to us. We want you to blow the doors off on this world, and if you're the Messiah, I want you to show. I think he meant it from a sincere heart, this Jewish understanding, a Christian thought of the Messiah as a conquering hero to put down all the threats of Rome. Listen, you don't have to, in the earlier verse, come in a quiet way and only reveal yourself in secret to us. Why don't you come in power and glory? And certainly the Lord will do that at his second coming. But he went on from that verse to talk about the things that we talked about last week. And so there's this thought, I'm going to give you all things. But they're confused, aren't they? In fact, go to chapter 16. Here's how confused they are. But it's not just confusion. There's a promise given. But remember when he said this to the disciples in 16.4... And the language is key. I have said these things to you. He keeps using that phrase, said these things. That when, in other words, there's, there's a time coming. When the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. In other words, you're not grasping it all now. But there's an hour coming when you will remember. Look over at chapter 16, verse 12. And we talked about that. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Look down at chapter 16, verse 25. He said there in verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. But he puts this forward. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. You say, well, what's he talking about here? Now, let me just take you to two places in John where they would be in remembrance of what Christ taught. Let, let me show you this. Go back to John chapter 2, okay? Go back to John chapter 2. And we just, we probably forget this here, but you remember there when he was cleansing the temple and we studied that. You can get that on the, on the web at our app. But in John 2, 13, was the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple and he found that they were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers were sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables and he told those who sold the pigeon, take these things, do not make my father's house a house of trade. Now this, you can underline this one. His disciples, what? Remembered when it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. They remembered. And the thought of the text is, though he said it to them at the cleansing of the temple, the disciples in this sense later remembered what he said. In fact, keep going, reading. Look at verse 19. Jesus answered, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking to them about the body of his, the temple of his body. Look at 22. When he, or when therefore he was, when? Raised from the dead, the disciples, what? Remembered 
that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. In other words, I have many things to tell you, but until my cross, until my resurrection, until my ascension into glory, until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, you're going to need to be brought into remembrance. In fact, one more. Would you look over at John chapter 12? And this is just the teaching of Scripture, okay? In John chapter 12, and he gave us all these little clues. It was the triumphal entry, okay? It's the same week, at least we're in, in John 14. His disciples, when he came in, and it was quoted there in 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. That's Zechariah. Zechariah, I think it's chapter 9, verse 9. But look at 12, 16. His disciples did not understand these things at what? First, they didn't get it. It's okay. But when Jesus was glorified, just a term that we've said for his death, capturing it all, from his death, his resurrection to ascension. When he was glorified, there it says, they remembered, verse 16, that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So you can see this is pretty clear. In fact, just to be honest with you, in John chapter 20, verse 9, they didn't even understand the scripture that he was going to rise from the dead. So do they understand? Yes, they're following him. But that they understand all things? Oh, no. So what Jesus says now, I'm going to send you the paraclete. Do you get it? I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send actually in my name. Jesus says, in my authority. And he, to these apostles, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You say, well, how did he do this? Well, you remember after his resurrection, I think it comes up on the screen. Let me see if that comes up and maybe we can just read it. Hit that next slide up there. I think you remember the road to Emmaus, beginning with Moses. Remember he was raised and remember he was walking on the road and the disciples didn't, these two disciples didn't recognize him. You say, how could they not recognize him? Well, really simple is that the truth was veiled until Jesus gave them a revelation of himself. And there's a picture today that people are blind until the Holy Spirit lifts their eyes. But beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, he exegeted to them in all of the scriptures, in all of the law, all of the prophets, the things, I even like that word, concerning himself. And then remember the next one is when he's talking to those guys. Send that to the next slide. You'll see what he's saying there. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I'm still with you. That everything written about the law, of me and the law, the prophets, the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then he, don't miss this, opened their minds. He opened their minds to to understand the scripture and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that the repentance of forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now watch this. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But he told them, Luke 24, we're not in the book of Acts yet. I want you to stay in the city until you've been clothed with what? Power from on high. In other words, I want you to stay there until I send the Holy Spirit. Let me see if I can put this together for you. What transformed these men, these afraid, these somewhat clueless 11 apostles, Matthias would be added later, but what transformed them into bold preachers, what transformed them into evangelists, transformed them into the writers of the scripture was his resurrection and his revelation to these men and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to two parties, to the apostles and to all believers. So our Lord wonderfully says to them, I'm going to send to the 11 the Holy Spirit to you. He is going to teach you all things. He, to the 11, is going to bring to your mind the remembrance of all that I have taught you. Now, let me, this is his function. Let, let me just say a few things to you, okay? Especially like if you're an eighth grader or if you're 
a seventh grader. This is just huge. If you're in high school, this is huge. If you're mom, your dad, this is huge. If you're single, this is huge. I just want to say this, that neither the Son nor the Holy Spirit carry on their ministry independently from the Father. I mean, lock that into your theological think tank. They're not Jesus. All that I'm telling you, Jesus said, the Father told me. Whatever he told me to speak, I speak. I got my words, my teaching from the Father. Now, I know he's the second person of the Trinity. He is truth himself. He is the word of God. We understand that. But in his incarnation, in his submission, he got all of his teaching from the Father. And let me say, the Holy Spirit got all of his ministry from the Father to magnify and glorify the Son. Let me say this to you. The Holy Spirit never, I find it, does he give new revelation. For that matter, neither did Jesus. Rather, the Holy Spirit reveals what was already given by the Lord. Okay? In other words, he brings Christ's truth to the apostles' remembrance. And so I want to encourage you, don't look for something new. Look for something that's already been revealed. So when that pastor, and for that matter, he's made a lot of claims, God spoke to me. What a guilt manipulation that is. I would never say that to you. In fact, I really don't think you think that you want me to tell you something new. I preach. I preach expositionally to tell you what's already been given to us. Amen. My goal is to deliver to you the truth that was once and for all delivered to the what? To the saints. You do not need something new. He brings, does the Holy Spirit, Christ's truth to the apostles' remembrance. Okay? And, he, and the Holy Spirit, let me say this, is not an innovator of new revelation never known before. Rather, he confirms the revelation by God in Christ to the apostles who handed it down to you in your lap. And it's called the Bible. Okay? The apostles, you say, okay, well then, Scott, who, they, who were they? Okay. They're eyewitnesses. All of them were an eyewitness of Christ. All of them were an eyewitness of his resurrection. That would include who became the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road when he was struck down by the bright lights. You say, well, Scott, what are you talking about? All these apostles, you hold in your hand a Bible. They were guided by the Holy Spirit who wrote down, and they did, the words of Christ. Here's the sequence. The Father's truth is passed on to the Son, then to the Holy Spirit, then to the apostles to record Scripture, and then it comes to us, and you're holding this. So you say, well, Scott, what are the implications of that? Well, the implications are huge. Let me just give you one. In light of this, the Mormons or any other false religion cannot claim as they do to have new revelation from God. It's already been given to you. You're not an apostle. You're not an eyewitness. You didn't physically see his resurrection. They did. And this is a promise from Jesus by the Holy Spirit that you will be guided to those 11 and all the truth. You say, what about the Mormons? Well, you can trace their origins back to a man by the name of Joseph Smith who was living in upstate New York. And in 1823, Smith said an angel directed him to a buried book written on golden plates. So as the angel, which frankly sounds demonic, guided him over to a place, he unearthed golden tablets that the angel showed him where they were, and he translated these plates in 1830 into what is called the Book of Mormon. What, what I'm telling you is we don't need anything else. He's spoken to us in his last days in his son. And here is a promise that as I go to, to, to my Father, the Holy Spirit's going to guide you unto all of the Scripture. So false teaching can't say that. You say, well, Scott, that's a, that's a little edgy to say that. Yeah, that's a little edgy, but what would you want me to do? Not tell you the truth? 
the greatest thing that this valley needs is discernment. Let me say what else you can't say in light of this truth. Liberals can't say that we, you, stick so close to the scripture, I've had him tell me this, that you, Scott, insult the Holy Spirit. That's what they say. In, in other words, what they're saying is, we don't think that this is the Holy Spirit's a teacher. He is, but they'd say he lives in you. I'd agree with that. But you, you insult the Holy Spirit, and here's how they say it. Have you heard this? We worship the Father, speaking of me, we worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scripture, is what they say. In other words, you don't have a place for the Spirit in your theology. And so they say, we worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what I'm telling you from the book here, in John 14, the role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. The role of the Holy Spirit is to disclose the teaching of Jesus Christ. Let, let me just say this to you, and I'm, I want to be gracious. Nor can people say in our town that GCV doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. You say people say that? Oh, yeah. They said it to me. They say we don't believe in the Holy Spirit because we don't believe that the gifts of healing and tongues are for today. And so they said that's a church that doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit. Listen, you know, I don't, I don't need to defend myself or our elder board. But, but I do want to say this to you. We believe that the Holy Spirit has spoken in the apostles. And that you are holding in your hands the word of God that is living and active and sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing as far as both bone and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, I think I am saying, we are saying, that we don't think you need anything else. you got the word of God. You have the Trinity, if you will, residing in you. So let me say this, that he, the Holy Spirit, what is he, Scott? Well, here, it's not, there's other statements, but he's a teacher, and he doesn't inspire new revelation, but he teaches the scripture. He interprets the scripture. I'll use this word, he illumines the scripture. Let me say it this way, the Holy Spirit, I don't know what in your mind he does, but here he points people to Christ. Christ is the theme of scripture. The Holy Spirit desires what Christ desires. He loves what Christ loves. He does what Christ does and he brings glory to Christ and not himself. That's what the, the Bible says. And the focus, let me put it this way, of the New Testament is not on a dove that appeared. In a, we see that at the, at the baptism. We associate it with that. That's not the focus of the New Testament. The focus of the New Testament is on Christ. It's on an empty cross and it's on the sanctifying work of the word of God in your heart. So, beloved, he's saying to the disciples, listen, I know you're troubled. I know you're anxious. But I want you to know I'm going to bless you with the Spirit. I'm going to bless you with the Son. I, Jesus said, I'm not coming back as an orphan. He's going to bless you with the Father. He's going to make his home with you. And now he's going to, I can't believe it. He gives you the word of God to be changed from one place of glory into the next. Listen to what J.I. Packer said. This says it all to me. Here's what J.I. Packer, the theologian, said. The Spirit's message to us is never, speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is never, look at me, listen to me, come to me, get to know me, but always look at him, see his glory, listen to him, hear his word, go to him, have life in him, get to know him, and taste his gift of joy and peace. End of quotes. Let me put it this way in a theological framework. These are some big words, but you're, you're, you're a wonderful body. Pneumatology. What's that? It's the, just the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, okay? Not hard. Christology. But pneumatology must have a Christological focus, okay? In other words, to experience the Holy Spirit is to experience Christ revealed in the Scripture. Spurgeon said this. 
and this is Spurgeon. You, you guys have heard Spurgeon quoted, usually super kind, super gracious. And usually when I'm reading his sermons, if I wasn't saved, I would get saved reading it. I, you've ever read some of those guys? You're just like, okay, if I wasn't saved, I'd get saved right now. But here's what he said. He said to those who came to him with supposed words of revelation from the Holy Spirit, he said, quote, take care never to impute the vain imaginations, imaginings of your fancy to him, the Holy Spirit. I have seen the Spirit of God shamefully dishonored by persons, I hope they were insane, who have said that they have had this and that revealed to them. There has not for some years passed over my head a single week in which I have not been pestered with the revelations, he says, of maniacs. He said, semi-lunatics who are very fond of coming with messages from the Lord to me, and it may spare them some trouble if I tell them once for all that I have, none of their, I will have none of their stupid messages. He said, never dream that events are revealed to you by heaven. He said, or you may have come to be like those idiots who dare to impute their blanket follies to the Holy Ghost. He said, if you feel your tongue itch to talk nonsense, trace it to the devil, not to the Spirit of God. Whatever is to be revealed by the Spirit to any of us is in the Word of God already. Spurgeon said he adds nothing to the Bible and never will. That's a strong statement that I affirm. You say, but Scott, he's, he's, what? Did you ever ask people when they said that God spoke to them? I usually say, hey, have you written that down in the book? And let's add it to the end of Revelation. Well, Scott, it's not quite like that. Well, but I mean, if you got it from God and he spoke it to you, then I think you ought to write it down and it should be for all the people in all the churches today. If it, well, it's not that kind of Revelation. And so it's hard to pin him down, but Spurgeon said that. He said he adds nothing to the Bible and never will. And we know when he says he adds nothing to the Bible, of course, the Spirit of God helps you illuminate your heart and mind to understand truth. And he does that by the presence of the Spirit. But he's talking about new revelation. He said, let persons, Spurgeon, who have revelations of this, that, or the other go to bed and wake up in their senses. I only wish they would follow the advice and no longer insult the Holy Spirit by laying their nonsense at his door. Wow. Listen, let me just say this to you. Two thoughts. He gave the apostles divine inspiration to take the word of God and write the word of God down so that at least in the rest of that New Testament, and for that matter, all the prophets of the Old Testament, were, they were breathing out the scripture, 2 Timothy. But then the Holy Spirit, when you become a Christian, illuminates your heart and my heart so that the word of God becomes living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen, beloved, you say, what's, what's the takeaway today? All I know is I got this book. And in the book, it reveals the person of Christ to me. It's living, it's active, it's life, but it's recorded for us. And I say to you, young moms, you ought to be reading this book. And dads, you ought to be reading this book. And uh, eighth graders, you ought to be reading this book. You say, well, Scott, I'm a senior at Kingsburg High. What does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Because the word of God's going to come to you living and active and it's going to transform you from one state of glory into the next. Amen? You have the Holy Spirit. He blessed you with it to give you the word of God and inspiration. He blesses you with it to illuminate the truth to your life.